from the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger. I'm Mia Wagner. And I'm Michael Mikowski. And I am a candidate for President of the United States. I am going to run for President, that's correct. What's going to be different this time? We're going to win. We are going to win. son of South Bend, Indiana, and I am running for President of the United States. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other campaign and election experts and hear their insight into the 2020 election. And we will make America great again. This is the United States of America. There has never... To announce my candidacy for president of... This is 1050 Bascom, election 2020. This week on 1050 Bascom Election 2020, we are very excited to have Professor Kenneth Mayer on to discuss the results of Super Tuesday and all the fallout that has ensued since. Professor Mayer, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Yeah, we'll just jump right in. Obviously, Biden had an amazing night picking up states that no one thought he would. What do you make of this comeback? There are a lot of moving parts there. Uh, To start off with, there's no question that this is a pretty amazing reversal that uh, the national news headlines after New Hampshire was that Biden's campaign was on life support. Yeah. Uh, he did not do very well in Nevada. Um, he had gone all in on South Carolina as his firewall. And had he not done, had he not won South Carolina, it's likely that he would have dropped out. Uh, And not only did he do well in uh, South Carolina, he won decisively. And then you have the events of the next couple of days with Klobuchar and Buttigieg dropping out and endorsing him and leading to a uh, pretty conclusive route on Super Tuesday that Mm -hmm. the only states that uh, Sanders won were Vermont, Utah, Uh, Colorado, and he'll probably wind up getting the most votes in California. But what for the Democrats was beginning to look like a nightmare scenario, which is Super Tuesday comes and the results are indecisive enough where you have multiple candidates splitting the vote Mm -hmm. two, three, four ways, or Sanders winning in enough states with few other candidates reaching the 15% threshold that the party would come out of that with either Sanders, the presumptive front runner, or no possibility of any candidate getting a majority of the delegates or close to a majority of the delegates, which would be pointing to a deadlock convention, a contested convention, something that hasn't happened since 1952. Uh, Instead, that's completely turned on its head, that Biden, by uh, 538, most other projections, will likely uh, continue to perform well and may go to the convention uh, with close to a majority of delegates. Uh, You have Warren dropping out, Bloomberg Mm -hmm. dropping out, saw reports that Sanders is now taking the position that uh, if Biden has a, a plurality of delegates but not a majority, Sanders would not stand in the way of him getting the nomination. Mm -hmm. So in the period of about 72 hours, you go from the potential of a completely muddled result to one that is both very surprising and based on what we can see 
today uh, decisive. Yeah. Even a week and a half ago, I was seeing things like Bernie Sanders could clinch this nomination by mid-March. But now I feel like it's completely on its head. Well, they were probably seeing that uh, uh, last Thursday and Friday, yeah. to go two and a half weeks ago, that uh, until the South Carolina primary occurred, that uh, it was still that appeared to be one of the most likely outcomes is that uh, the Democrats would get to the convention, Sanders would be uh, in first place in delegates, but several hundred shy of the 1900 and change he needs. And Democrat, Democratic candidates and office holders down the ticket in Congress, state legislatures, were beginning to talk about their concern that having Sanders on the top of the ticket could put the House majority at risk. And, uh, and now that dynamic has completely changed. And it is really fascinating how we have these forecasting tools that we can use or that are used to make pretty accurate projections uh, about what is likely to happen in subsequent races. But they are always based on the information we have at the time. Yeah. And it's very difficult for forecasting methods to see around corners. So if you were on, on Friday evening, uh, if you were to sort of lay odds or make predictions about what the sequence would be over the next 72 to 96 hours, I don't think anybody would have, uh, would have taken that. Right. Um, it just, these exogenous shocks or these exogenous events, uh, matter. And there's one, a couple of other interesting things to sort of continue the conversation is that th there is not a lot of evidence that endorsements matter. Mm -hmm. uh, they, whether we're talking about newspaper endorsements or candidates lining up uh, other uh, office holders, well, we now have two counterexamples where uh, an endorsement clearly had a decisive result. The first was Congressman James Clyburn in South Carolina, who is the, uh, by a huge margin, the most well-known and respected African-American leader in the state. And I don't think there's any question that his endorsement of Biden played a role in the, the size of his victory. I mean, it was 30 points. Um, the other, uh, and I had to just check this because it was kind of hard to, to believe it was true, uh, when uh, Klobuchar dropped out and endorsed Biden. There hadn't been a, a, a huge amount of polling in Minnesota, but the, the last couple of polls that were taken the last week of February, Biden was polling in the single digits, seven, yeah. eight, 9%. Klobuchar was in first place, home state, 27, 29. Sanders in uh, uh, running second, and Biden improved his standing uh, by 30 points, winning with about 39 percent of the of the vote. And it, it it certainly seems clear that that Klobuchar's endorsement uh, uh, and you know Buttigieg to a uh, to a lesser extent, mm -hmm. but he was farther down in the polls, but. Uh, a lot of the things that had structured the way that we had come to think about uh, campaigns and primaries and endorsements um, have uh, you know, kind of been turned on their head. Yeah. Most people who study political parties in American politics can kind of loosely fall into two different camps. 
One is uh, those in what you might call the Party Decides camp, and that's the name of a prominent book that was published about uh, 10 years ago, uh, which makes the argument that parties uh, as entities uh, have much more influence over the, uh, uh, who the nominee is than they're often given credit for. And then there's another intellectual camp that uh, uh, takes the position that the evidence shows that parties really can't con- control this. Uh, and what we've seen in the last three or four days is an example of what, what people describe. It's a coordination problem. There is no national party gatekeeper who says, oh, you get to run for president and you can't. And uh, I mean, the parties don't have that power anymore. Um, and they, they didn't in 2016 uh, when you had uh, what was then the largest uh, uh, presidential primary field, uh, which included former governors, current governors, former senators, prominent business people, and then you had Donald Trump coming along and nobody took him seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it looked like he was gaining traction, uh, almost all of the other candidates took the position, well, someone has to do something. Somebody needs to drop out. Someone needs to organize and uh, present a single alternative. But because there was no coordinating authority and no one with the ability to say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to drop out except John Kasich or uh, Marco Rubio or or Ted Cruz or whatever. Um, The uh, uh, it's kind of a collective action problem. And uh, the uh, what what has happened with uh, Democrats is over probably a well a 72 to 96 hour period is you had uh, activity that that had the result of essentially solidifying behind a single nominee uh, as an alternative to Sanders. Now there was there was no master puppeteer who was pulling the strings right. and saying here's what's going to happen yeah. and here's what you have to do. Uh, I've heard there are reports that uh, Obama had some conversations and other, uh, you know, it's entirely possible that the Biden campaign communicated with uh, uh, Klobuchar and Buttigieg and and tried to, you know, negotiate uh, possible terms for endorsements. But this is all campaign to campaign activity that is not centrally yeah. coordinated it's very inside baseball um well it it, it is uh and it's because uh in the 1970s parties of necessity gave up their gatekeeping role mm-hmm. they no longer had the authority or the the power or ability to organize amongst themselves uh state and national party leaders and decide you know what hubert humphrey's going to get the democratic nomination uh, even though he didn't run in a single primary or... In 1968. In 1968. Um, and there's, ever since then, there has been tension between parties trying to uh, identify a process that uh, results in a nominee who the base is enthusiastic about, but who can also go on to win the general election. And the in the 1980s, it was the Democrats who were hurt by this. They... Uh, George McGovern, uh, Walter Mondale, Michael Dukakis, who all lost Mm -hmm. uh, in the 90s and 2000s. It 
kind of flipped and it was Republicans who were Bob Dole and John McCain and Mitt Romney trying to navigate between uh, satisfying what for the Republicans was a very conservative, often evangelical base, which encouraged or rewarded candidates to do things that would then hurt them uh, in the general. Of course, Donald Trump, that rule book has kind of been thrown out the window. But uh, I think the the fear among a lot of Democrats was that Bernie Sanders was not a Democrat and that he would put uh, the uh, post problems for the party and other candidates uh, uh, and the general. Now, if Biden gets the nomination and you may begin to see uh, the uh, nomination moving to what you would call a consolidation stage with Biden beginning to try to unify the party and uh, encourage Sanders supporters to to join him uh, and to not repeat uh, what happened in 2016, which was some Sanders supporters who were deeply unhappy that Clinton got the nomination in their view that the Democratic National Committee had put their thumb on the scale uh, and they, they stayed home. So that these, these tensions have been around for a while and, mm-hmm. and we are seeing them now. So considering now kind of the race essentially is Biden v. Sanders and Elizabeth Warren just hours ago at the time that we're recording this dropped out of the race. I've seen reports that she is still considering whether or not to endorse. It's unclear if she's going to endorse and if she does, who? What does that mean for Biden v. Sanders now? I don't think we have uh, uh, there is a real good sense of where Sanders or I'm sorry, Warren supporters will go. It's, It's likely they're there's going to be there's going to be a mix. I don't know that the previous polls asking voters who's your first choice, who's your second choice, because when most of those polls were taken, there were a lot yeah. more options. But a two candidate race has a very different dynamic than a three or six or ten or fifteen candidate race. That they will focus their attention uh, in part on each other, but they are going to start talking to the electorate start talking to the general electorate uh, and uh, I think I mean there, there are going to be more primaries on coming up on Tuesday Sanders has placed a lot of emphasis on Michigan I mean there there are a range of mm-hmm. possibilities here all the way from Sanders remaining competitive and going into the convention with five or six or 1200 delegates and and acting as a uh, as a significant influence, all the way to the point where Biden starts winning decisively and Sanders ends his, ends his campaign. Yeah. There are a the whole range of, of things that, that could happen. But I think what Biden will likely do as the front runner is that he will begin to move into the consolidation and unification phase. Uh, and and uh, look to the general election and start turning attention so that they're not attacking, he's not so much attacking Sanders Mm -hmm. as he is uh, uh, laying the groundwork for the general campaign against against the president. So you mentioned Bernie Sanders putting a lot of emphasis on Michigan for next week. Uh, Just this morning, Governor of Michigan, Whitmer, endorsed Joe Biden. Do you foresee that endorsement carrying any kind of weight? Or we'll just have to see. We will see. Endorsements so far uh, have been important. Uh, uh, She does not 
I don't think she has the same kind of status that Clyburn yeah. does in South Carolina, but uh, it you know it could, and it could be that all of the other candidate supporters who have been thinking about uh, different alternatives that if they decide or that their concern is getting this over with and that defeating Donald Trump is more important than uh, having their first choice, you, you could begin to see uh, Biden in a two-candidate race uh, winning with 55, 60, 65 percent of the vote. Uh, but again, the, a, a two-candidate race is vastly different than even a three-candidate, certainly uh, a race with more than that yeah. uh, number of candidates. Is there any hope for a Bernie Sanders nomination? What I often tell students is that when you have had uh, one, maybe two cycles of engagement with the political process, uh, and I guess one of the uh, classic examples would be uh, Barack Obama in 2008, where the uh, among students the commitment to him was was palpable. I mean, students were all in, and they felt like the you know the metaphorical revolution was at hand. Mm-hmm. The politics going forward was going to be vastly different than it had been in the past, and that this was this was a breaking point, a cut point. 2012 comes around, a lot of those students were dejected because it turned out that politics looked kind of a lot like it did four years before and it can be uh i don't want to sound too paternal here but it it can be frustrating when you come to realize when you start officially engaging with the political contest uh, process why don't other people think the same way i do yeah that you know you've thought about this you have your reasons for uh, throwing your support behind Sanders and there are a number of issues that you care about or qualities that you care about and in, in your mind and in the mind of a lot of people that, that that's the right answer. Why doesn't everybody see it that way? And it can be, it can be frustrating. Well, that's kind of the nature of democratic politics when uh, people care about different things and have different priorities and you along with Warren and Buttigieg and Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, all of the people who were uh, supporting those candidates, well, you have, uh, uh, you're in a position where you need to make a choice. Which candidate do you decide to vote for? Do you not support either? There are a mm-hmm. variety of different things. Uh, and that's... Uh, that's not really a good answer, but it's the, I mean, it's the essence of majoritarian democratic systems that people are going to disagree. Yeah. And we have an imperfect electoral process that uh, is designed to help work these disagreements out in a way that uh, uh, the losing side is willing to, to live with. Yeah. What... I'm at least kind of afraid of at this point in time, a lot of progressives will feel very alienated, especially after the last couple of months of uh, moderates attacking progressive uh, policy points, like especially Medicare for all. I'm wondering if progressives will have a hard time voting for Joe Biden. Well, this is the this is the decision process for someone who is progressive. Do you take uh, when you're number one and maybe the number two 
option is no longer available? Do you vote for an imperfect number three or number four yeah. as opposed to a number yeah. 30 yeah. or an option that is you regard as completely unacceptable? And that's, uh, that is... Uh, that is an enduring part of uh, engagement with with politics, and one of the uh, one of the difficulties in making making choices among alternatives. If you can't get your most preferred, uh, what do you do? Yeah, fair. Uh, we're very nearly out of time, so I'll just ask one more question, purely speculative. Uh, do you have any likely VP candidates in mind for either candidate that they may be on their short list? So uh, we can identify some parameters. Mm -hmm. I think it's likely that Biden will pick a woman. A woman. Uh, and uh, I think there are the, you know, the three options that sort of suggest themselves would be Warren, Klobuchar, or Kamala Harris, uh, they would all bring strengths and some weaknesses to the ticket. I doubt that we will see a, uh, a choice made soon. Mm -hmm. I know that there's been some speculation that both Biden and Sanders will, will identify their pick now. That is not something that a front runner will do. That usually is a desperation yeah. tactic. What what Ted Cruz did in 2016. So that, in, in general terms, I think that that's my expectation. Uh, there are obviously uh, a lot of other uh, options, but I, that that strikes me as the um, as the the likely structuring of that choice. Mm -hmm. What about Sanders? Uh, I think Sanders uh, probably faces the same kind of uh, decision structure. Uh, I don't know, you know, the conventional wisdom, which uh, may not be all that conventional. It seems as though nor, we can throw out yeah, all. Nor wise. Yeah, that all that out uh, the window. You, you historically had looked to the vice president to, to balance the ticket either geographically or Ideologically, uh, ideologically, uh, it uh, it seems that uh, sort of ideological balance would be that might be a little tougher for uh, uh, for Sanders to to pull off, just because once you've staked out such clear, unambiguous positions to select someone who is, doesn't adhere to those same things. Mm -hmm. uh, would be I think would be tough uh, so uh, but I, I doubt that that's a uh, something that we'll be seeing until Biden or Sanders has wrapped it up yeah so there's only one candidate and they truly moved to the to the general election footing fair enough well thank you so much for joining us today on the pod yeah my pleasure For more information about the podcast and to submit questions regarding the 2020 elections, visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Basca. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom Election 2020.